You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Facebook kicked some Russian trolls out from under its bridge. Why? Because they're Russian trolls, that's why. Facebook CEO Zuckerberg will testify about data security before a House panel next Wednesday. Privacy for the old world, but maybe not as much for the new. The YouTube shooting may have been motivated by anger over the platform's policies. European air traffic control problems were a glitch, not a hack. Pipeline operators are recovering from an IT hack. Homeland Security tells the U.S. Senate hostile intelligence services have stingrays in Washington, and Panera Bread's response to its potential data exposure. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 4th, 2018. Facebook has kicked a large number of Russian troll accounts associated with St. Petersburg's Internet Research Agency from its platform. In total, they took down 70 Facebook accounts, 138 Facebook pages, and 65 Instagram accounts. As reported by TechCrunch, Facebook CSO Alex Stamos, who's still with the company despite what you may have read in the New York Times, was clear and direct about the reasons for the takedowns because the Internet Research Agency uses, as Stamos put it, quote, inauthentic accounts to deceive and manipulate people, end quote, they're not welcome. That, he said, is the whole reason, he said, we don't want them on Facebook. We removed this latest set of pages and accounts solely because they were controlled by the IRA, not based on the content. So it's not content management in this case as much as it is user management. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, having declined an invitation to testify in London before a parliamentary inquiry into fake news, said he will testify before the U.S. House Energy and Commerce Committee next Wednesday, April 11th. The hearings in Washington will be about consumer data protection. Perhaps the panel will ask him why Facebook appears to be preparing to give North American users a lesser degree of privacy than people elsewhere. The quick answer is because GDPR won't apply in the new world. Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg had in January made noises about extending the data protection and privacy measures it was implementing to remain compliant with the European Union's general data protection regulation to all users everywhere, but this appears no longer to be the case. Since U.S. law doesn't require the same degree of protection, U.S. users won't get it. And this would seem to be something Congress would welcome some transparency on. And sadly, yesterday, resentment over content moderation apparently took a violent turn. A shooter wounded three before killing herself at YouTube headquarters in San Bruno, California. A fourth person was injured while escaping the gunfire. All of the injured are expected to recover. The shooter was apparently upset by the platform's age-restricted policies. 
There's been a great deal of misinformation circulating about the shooting, so it's worth going over what's known. San Bruno police identified the shooter as Nassim Jahafi Agdam, 39, of San Diego. As far as the police can tell, and this contradicts earlier reports that the shooting was a domestic violence incident, she didn't know any of the four victims, none of whom seemed to have been specifically targeted. She was of Iranian origin, but not, again contrary to earlier reports, a Muslim. She was an adherent of the Baha'i faith, and investigators can find no obvious religious motivation for her attack. She was a vegan, a bodybuilder, an artist, and a strongly committed animal rights activist. None of these seem to provide a motivation either. What appears to be a likely motivation to observers and now the San Bruno PD was her anger at YouTube for age-restricting and demonetizing her exercise, advice, anti-animal cruelty, and comedy parody videos. Agdam's social media accounts have for the most part been taken down, but before they were, YouTube videos of her denouncing the platform for blocking kids' access to her videos and taking away the possibility of making some money from them were readily available. Her father is said to have warned police in another town, by some accounts Mountain View, just down the 101 from San Bruno, that he feared his daughter would attack YouTube. Police there had questioned her when they found her sleeping in her car, which, while unusual, isn't a crime, so she was simply sent on her way. The story is still developing, and please remember that early reports are often confused. We hope for the healing of the victims and consolation for all of the families the attack touched. Jim Routh is the chief security officer at Aetna. I recently had the opportunity to speak with him for the Recorded Future podcast. One of the things we discussed was model-driven security and the rise of unconventional controls. Here's a segment from that show. The future of cybersecurity actually happens to be here today, but most cybersecurity professionals aren't aware of it, and it's largely because the technology is creeping up on them and it's not self-evident. But what's happening to security is we're moving into a world or a realm where uh, model-driven security is an essential component for the resilient enterprise, and our threat actors are using models and data science to attack uh, the enterprise. So it's model versus model. Now, I'll start from the good guy side. Hmm. Um, About three and a half years ago, I hired a chief data scientist dedicated to security, very talented guy, had nine years of experience in the NSA where he worked on security uh, using data analytics. And I asked him, at the time, I thought it was the right thing to do. I asked him, build us a data lake uh, for the enterprise for security that uh, we could run models against and figure out where to allocate our scarce resources to do cyber hunting to get the best bang for the buck. Seemed to make sense. You know, a lot of people said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's worthwhile. That's a good application of data science. Well, while he did that, and he did an outstanding job of that, built 106 models uh, in uh, about a year and a half's time, Uh, while he did that and did exactly what I asked him to do, we implemented eight other implementations in production of models. These are unsupervised machine learning models driving frontline security controls, Hmm. whether it's authentication or privilege user management uh, or Uh, email filtering or endpoint protection. Uh, These are all cases where we implemented the technology. It's driving frontline security control. So it's not just producing data 
and results that we're analyzing, it's actually part of the fabric of the control. So today, privileged user monitoring is an example. We, uh, every single registered user in the network has a behavioral score based on four different types of uh, behavior, uh, physical access, email, web, browsing, uh, entitlement information, all combined massive you know, data lake that was established, bunch of models that represent that numerically. So each individual registered user has that. When they ask for a privilege, and we don't have... We don't grant privileges indefinitely. Everything has a time frame in terms of every privilege. And when they get a privilege, we measure their actual behavior against the pattern. We see any deviation. If it's a slight deviation, we send an email to their boss who has the context to know what they should be doing and when. And their boss decides if it's good or bad. The green button in the email says that's okay. If it's a red button, they hit that and it, the, the, the uh, credential is automatically revoked. Uh, but if there's a number of anomalies in terms of anomalistic events, the model decides to revoke privilege immediately in real time without any human intervention and initiates orchestration for a security incident. Again, no human intervention. and allows us to essentially revoke privilege in milliseconds in real time in the case of a threat. I know of no other system in the world that has that in uh, across the entire enterprise. We've had it in place for about a year and a half. That's one example of what was put in place that's essentially a model, in this case, several models, driving frontline security controls. And we're seeing that more and more. We have 200 models in production today. Uh, and we're, all, we're constantly growing that, uh, that model, uh, that catalog of models. So I see very in the very near future, two, three years down the road, where we'll be actually sharing models from one enterprise to another to deploy effective security controls uh, across enterprises. Models and data science today represents the foundation of cybersecurity for the next decade. That's Jim Routh. He's the chief security officer at Aetna. That's a cut down from a longer version of an interview that I had with him over on the Recorded Future podcast. If you want to check that out, it's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. As you can probably tell, he's an interesting guy and they're doing some interesting work over at Aetna. I recommend you check it out. If you were flying in Europe late last night, you may have experienced, well, turbulence, of course, but more to the point, some delays and disruptions. Europe's Enhanced Tactical Flow Management System, ETFMS, the continent's basic air traffic management system, failed late last night. The problems were glitches, not hacks, and service was restored early this morning. Several thousand flights were delayed, but backup systems functioned properly, and flight safety was not compromised. In another disruption that was, in fact, a hack, four U.S. pipeline operators have now reported experiencing an attack on their electronic data interchange, that's EDI systems, Oneok, Energy Transfer Partners, Boardwalk Pipeline Partners, and Chesapeake Utilities Eastern Shore Natural Gas were all affected over the weekend and into the early part of this week. Energy Transfer Partners and Eastern Shore identified the issue as a third-party problem with service provider Latitude Technologies, a unit of Energy Services Group. Latitude Technologies has restored most of the affected services, but it's waiting until investigation is farther along before offering an account of how the hackers got in. The attackers hit the EDI that Latitude provides, not the operator's operational technology. The EDI is essentially a customer contact and data exchange system used for billing, scheduling, and routing deliveries, and the like. It did not affect industrial control systems, as far as we know. 
Some observers in the security industry speculate that the hacker's intention was to pivot from the IT to the OT, but there's no direct publicly available evidence yet that this occurred. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security told the Senate that some foreign intelligence services, hostile ones, are operating illicit stingray intercept systems, mostly in Washington, but in other cities as well. And finally, Panera Bread is receiving poor reviews for its handling of the vulnerability in its online sales system that exposed customers to data loss. The company apparently at first dismissed the researcher who told them they had a problem. They misread him as a scammer, so the problem persisted from late August into this week. The company is in the process of remediating the issue now. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also runs Unit 42, which is their threat intelligence team. Rick, welcome back. Um, you know, uh, you, when you were on the show recently, we were talking about the whole notion of security platforms, and you were uh, singing the praises of security platforms. Uh, and since then, some folks have pointed out that uh, could it possibly be that a security platform is really putting someone in a monopoly situation. If you're putting all of your eggs into one basket, uh, this notion of, of having a monopoly could be problematic. What's your uh, response to that? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, uh, after I did your show the last time, other folks had mentioned to me and, and that there was actually a paper okay, written back in 2003 by some cybersecurity luminaries like Dan Gear and Bruce Schneier and a bunch of other really smart people. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't about security. It was about the perceived notion that Microsoft was a monopoly on the operating system level. And their whole thesis was that if we only have one operating system, if a vulnerability is discovered, uh, the the impact could be exponential, you know, around the world. All right. right. And so they didn't like that idea. Okay. Sure, so the whole genetic diversity thing, right? From yeah. an organism point of view. Well, I mean, that's why vendor and demp was invented by the security people, because we don't want to be in that situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. When, so when I advocate for a security platform, okay, which what I mean by that is we're trying to take everything that we're trying to do now with all these point products, you know, and I, uh, as I go around talking to people, uh, even small organizations have 20 security products deployed. 
you know, medium sized ones have 50 to 60 and big ones like big banks, they have over 125, mm -hmm. right? That is a lot to manage. And the whole industry is kind of at a tipping point where they can't manage one more box. So my, I'm advocating to bring everything under one platform uh, so they can make it easier. But it does sound like I'm going against the most brilliant minds in the industry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I was feeling pretty bad about myself and then I went back and reread the monopoly paper. Okay. And it turns out when you read what, you know, uh, Dan gear and Bruce Schneier and team recommended, it turns out that I'm right on the money. Okay. For what they are talking about, how to fix the situation. Okay. Go on. That, come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, the monopoly paper recommends three things that the industry do to lower the risk of a single vendor operating system. Okay. So the first one was publish interface specifications to major functional components of its code. All right. So that would work on the operating system. That is exactly what the security platform does. Platform vendors open their APIs to anybody who wants to connect to it. So we reckon we go along or a platform play uh, goes along with the number one recommendation from the Monopoly paper. Okay. Number two, in the Monopoly paper, they say this, foster development of plug-and-play technology that provides alternative sources of functionality. So that is exactly the direction the platform vendors are heading. Last one, work with a consortium of vendors to define specifications and interfaces for future developments. Again, this is exactly what all of the security platform vendors are doing all of them, I'm talking about Palo Alto Networks, Cisco, Checkpoint, Fortinet, and Cisco, all belong to the Cyber Threat Alliance and are building new sharing protocols and platforms so that prevention orchestration, the sharing of new intelligence and the deployment of new prevention controls is done automatically at the vendor level so that network defenders don't have to manage it themselves. Okay, so I, I think the platform uh, parallels nicely what they recommended in the Monopoly paper. To be clear, though, you still have to pick a vendor platform that you trust that will stay on top of all the technology and to continue integrating with other vendors. Okay, right. but by doing that, okay, you come closer to the goal of automatic integration and orchestration, and that will cause you less wasted time for your staff, and it reduces the amount of complexity in your environment. All right, Rick Howard, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. It was good. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bonn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. <laughs>